0: Real yeah. quick, yes, um, cussing is good or bad. Oh, you can say whatever the fuck you want, man. I don't. I try sh- not to cuss, but uh, I, you know, here's the thing: like people have been like criti- not people like so. People that I'm close to have said stuff to me, and eventually I'll probably clean my language up. But right now, man, I'm still, you know, my rhetoric's not good enough to exclude customer. <laughs> so i'm still working on my rhetoric. i'm only on grammar and logic right now that's really <laughs> what i'm diving into so you know once once i really start focusing on rhetoric i'll i'll have it off but uh you know sometimes it's good to say you know a couple bad words or like just to and actually too here's what's funny like um from watching Penn and teller bullshit like a long time ago and here in pen gillette talking to interview like you are way less like uh like if you call someone a fucking asshole or, you know, just a, a dickhead, you're way like that's okay to say, but if you called someone a fraud or somebody a quack or something like that that was in the <laughs> medical field, you're actually way more um you could be subject to like litigation over that.
1: That's oh, just yeah. like
0: a fun fun note. So if you do want to criticize someone, name calling is is okay, but to actually like I don't know. So but I would never just like criticize someone and say this guy's a fuck unless like they're really an asshole. Then I would say, yeah, what a fucking asshole! Like, like some police officer or something. But that's about it. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, let me get this this intro rolling. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Singapore. I have a pleasure to be joined by my good friend, uh, internet friend Nathan Frazier, who uh, really kind of put me in this direction and the reason why, like, uh, I went followed his lead and went in a lot of different directions for myself, um, like the Jackalope Freedom Festival, or just kind of studying, uh, I don't know, just my own personal studies with anarchism and anarcho-capitalism and all that fun stuff. So Nathan, thank you so much. He's a host of Live Free FM, um, and if you just go to livefreefm.com, you can find, uh, because what's the name of the radio network? I'm always bad at that other stuff, man. Uh, The
1: main network that I'm on is Truth Frequency Radio, and um, my site that you can go and catch all of the archives of my show is livefreefm.com.
0: Okay. I'm glad I'm really good at saying my guest information, just butchering it there. So (laughs) I'm glad you're here. But you're on another – you're still on another – you're like on a second radio network too? Uh, I get simulcast
1: on ucy.tv and – also on in the denver metro area we're on uh ninety point seven f m but it's a micro broadcast so the the reach of the antenna is not the greatest
0: that's pretty cool man i didn't know you're at you're on um the airwaves as well as the internet uh so that's pretty cool um it's different man like what do you think like like, it's – it's what's interesting to me is, like, the difference between, like, live radio broadcasting and doing, like, a podcast like this. And I got to be honest, man. I don't I don't think I could do the live radio, like – because I, like – I'm a big fan of your show. And I'll, like – I'll listen. And I'm, like, man, Nathan has to keep this going, like, just nonstop and just talking. And I'm, like, he does an awesome job of just keeping it going. Like, um, I don't think I could do that. Like, I, I on purpose have guests because I – I can't just talk like I'm not like I don't have enough in me and I'm so afraid like we were talking about before the show like I feel like that's when you that's when I would start to say the dumbest shit ever because (laughs) I wouldn't have time to like really like focus on what I'm saying because I would just be trying to like fill the airwaves or engage an audience um so like I'd I'd really even if I had like passionate topics because you go on for two hours right yeah man that's pretty awesome man I I just want to say I got a lot of before you know, before we get into too much conversation, I'll just be really awkward and give you a nice compliment. But uh yeah, man, really appreciate your work. Um and just really appreciate like 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 I told you before, like I was really kind of on the, the free man path and studying that and then after, you know, listening to you, um, you know, it just kinda like made me made me look at other things and like and just like I don't know, you've exposed some really like exposed me to some really interesting ideas that i could explore and i and i appreciate that so um there we go awkward compliments started off <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and before we get too far into it um i do want to just give a fair warning so it's where i'm at it's like nine o'clock almost ten o'clock in the morning i just woke up about a half hour ago Yeah. um so <laughs> i might not be this might not be my best performance ever, and uh, I've been to concerts before where the a band that you really, really like just does a really piss-poor performance, and you just walk away with a sour taste in your mouth, so if anybody listening uh, is like, wow, that guy just sucked, um, please go to my show and listen, <laughs> listen to some of the other stuff before you make a judgment. I'll try my best not to be that band today, but uh, yeah, it, it might happen
0: dude nathan you'll be fine man it was nice of me to be like oh oh okay so you're usually not up at 9 a.m well guess what that's the time i'd like to record (laughs) 9 a.m your time because that's what's convenient for me so i have other stuff i have to do so i'm not going to be you know any i'm not going to take into my guest schedule to any consideration at all (laughs) i'm just going to be like Hey, Nathan, you know, let's talk on my time. We're going to talk on my time. Um, no, no, I'm I'm glad to be here. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just teasing, man. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, but, yeah, man, so there's a uh, – what's interesting, man, is, like, I, I just wanted to have you on the show just to talk to you. Because last time we talked about a lot of different stuff, and and uh, and I felt like I had a really – I got a lot of good compliments on that episode. People were like, that guy's really smart. And I was like, I know. That's why I had him on the show. So, uh but uh, yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on these days, um, and it's like the. Uh, and I don't know if you want to talk about current stuff, but I mean the Cold War 2.0, the de-dollarization that's going on, and and uh, people still really. I, I, do you feel like? I guess this is like my random Drew thoughts because they're all kind of. I'm gonna hit on a bunch of things. And I'm gonna ask you a completely different cu- question, but <laughs> do you think like with just like. Uh, like Ferguson the the events in Ferguson for example I feel like are starting to make people realize like what's going on with the police and like uh the militarization of the police how many assault rifles the military gave local police forces and their big tank uh mili- Their I mean it's like if you look at pictures from Ferguson it looks like Gaza and uh it's like it's it's really like I feel like and and I forget I know I heard a study that like you know when police dress in riot gear they're preemptively a riot is way more likely to take place and uh so i don't know man so what do you what do you think about like all this stuff that's going on and do you think it's actually going to be like a positive thing because it's going to force people like i feel like corruption actually is making people pay attention more so what do you like in open corruption if that makes sense
1: yeah i think um it's a mixed bag uh a lot of people are definitely starting to wake up to some of the things that some of us have been yelling about for the last 20 years. Um, but at the same time, this is (sighs) one of the oldest tricks in the prison wardens handbook is to keep the inmates divided by race. And, uh, when you see these ambulance chaser, race baiter guys like uh, Al Sharpton and, and Jesse Jackson start jumping on TV and turning it into a race thing, uh, it's – it turns it into a – it makes it look like a black community problem. And if you've been paying attention, this is not a black community problem. It's disproportionate in the black community, but I think that's more of an economics deal than it is a color deal um the state is notorious for taking pe- i mean uh, people say well if you're black and you're driving you're more likely to get pulled over but the truth is if you're driving a a car that's not as uh you, you know if you're driving a car that's 2008 and it looks like you're uh uh middle class working type person, you're a lot less likely to get pulled over if you're than if you're driving like a car from 1984. Um, The state is notorious for picking out easy targets. That's why police officers go after potheads rather than rapists. The state is notorious for going after low hanging fruit and people who are poor, people that drive crappier cars, people that come from poor communities, they're a lot easier to milk and get stuck in the system and and take everything they can from those people. People that are a little bit more well-off or from higher income neighborhoods are more likely to hire lawyers and fight back and waste the state's revenue rather than fork over their revenue to the state. So it's more of an economic thing as far as I can see it and having been in the court system, I've been to court probably over three or 400 times. Um, it's to me, it's definitely a problem that is more focused towards economic, an economic group rather than a racist group or race group. But the fact is that there's a lot of overlap between the black community and the poor community. So, uh, It does disproportionately hit the black community. But when you look at uh, situations on YouTube, you just type in police brutality and you'll see hundreds, if not thousands, of videos of police brutalizing white people, brutalizing Mexicans. Uh, Callie Thomas, I think, was his name. Um, The gentleman from California that last year he was he was a mentally ill kid and he got beat to death by like four police officers and he was white and he's not like the exception to the rule. A lot of white people, a lot of Asian people, a lot of Mexican people um, are becoming brutalized by the police. The police are getting more and more out of hand. And it's a natural result of when you tell somebody, when, when you list a job, Hey, this job allows you to carry a gun around, bark orders at people, be completely exempt from any kind of accountability and you get more rights than anybody else does. And uh, your entire paycheck is made up of stolen money. And and then you post that job on Craigslist and then you throw your hands up in the air in confusion. And you're like, why are only douchebags applying for this job? Well, you've created a seat of power that really is only going to attract douchebags. And uh, we're watching the inevitable result of that right now. And uh, because of – we were talking about like the free man on the land type crowd and because of people that are actually starting to stand up for their rights, um, police are starting to be more and more paranoid of the average citizen. And since there – a lot of police – I don't want to make a blanket statement, but a lot of police are uh, not the highest IQ of people. In fact, they actually have, have had rulings about – how they're allowed or they're encouraged to hire lower IQ people to be police officers. And since police have this power trip and, uh, and there's a lot of anti-gun paranoia um, and a lot of everybody hates cops paranoia. So it's created a mindset, the mix of, of I have more rights than you and the mix of officer safety is number one and everybody's trying to kill police nowadays um, it's it's created an environment that uh, is ripe for police brutality, and we're seeing it everywhere. Uh, I am suspicious, though, when it starts, when when you see unrest in the prison and you see the white people and the black people start to realize that they have a common enemy and then the media rushes in and is quick to start throwing out buzzwords that are meant to divide and keep the inmates at each other's throats and um, that's that's my biggest worry about this. I'm glad that people are starting to wake up to what's going on, uh, but I am concerned that a lot of people are still falling for the old divisionary tactics that the state has employed since the start of 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 the state
0: yeah it it, it was interesting uh the guy uh because I, I do a couple podcasts on this feed like my co-host of the terrible cast he went out to Ferguson and uh he actually got like video of uh, that uh, there's like a Black Panther and he's like basically saying that they want the the police officer dead Um, and he's getting people to chant it with him. And and I think it's interesting because like he said that the police literally, it was like it was like kind of organized at the police for the, the Black Panther to be there. And you see the same shit with the Klan and it's like, and I get that because it's supposed to be protecting their First Amendment right, but it's just really interesting that they're, like people that you know are going to cause race tensions get like special, you know, special right. like
1: they get a like they get like a platform in a, a spotlight.
0: Exactly, exactly. They get a platform in a spotlight and it's like why, you know, you know why like we can't if we're if we're all saying we're all in rest, they all try to arrest us, but if like oh, if I'm part of a hate group, then it's all right, you know, you can go ahead hate hate whoever you want to hate like please take the attention away from us. And uh And yeah, I think that's that's interesting, man. um, It's it's definitely alarming. Like I feel like with the um, the case last year with uh, Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman, I felt like they want, like they were making that into number one. They were making that into like a case about like stand your ground, which it was really a self defense case. And then they tried to make it into this white versus black thing. And George Zimmerman's a Peruvian Jewish guy. Like, I don't know if you saw their moms take the stand, but George Zimmerman's mom looks, I mean, like, I don't, like, she looks Mexican from an ignorant American's perspective. And, uh, and and it's, it's, it was just kind of funny, man. And like, like the interesting thing to me that's really going on is like, there's holes in both, like the media takes something and they run with it. Or even like, even like independent media will take something because they want, they want to get more ammo against, like, their adversary, like, they hate the, they hate the government, they hate the police, so they'll, like, they'll jump on shit way too soon, and, like, yeah, this is, like, the, the kid's story about what happened with the Mike Brown thing, I'm kind of, like, skeptical of his story, and then, like, the, the footage comes out, he really did, like, he really did rob some guy for some cigars in his store, but the cop just shot him, and it really was unrelated, but it's just, like, man, I feel like both sides are always trying to hide something. So you never know who who is really telling the truth because, like, neither side really is. So well, let's keep going. We, we have – and
1: this is just something that even myself, I suffer from this. I don't know anybody who doesn't. We have these things in our brain that kind of filter what we see and what we repeat. And one of them is cognitive dissonance and one of them is confirmation bias. Uh, or confirmation bias, another word for it is like hi- hyper-focusing. Uh, we, it, it's it's not comfortable to admit that you're wrong about something. So what we do is we look for evidence to prove that we're right about something. We look for evidence to prove that our worldview is correct because that's what makes us feel comfortable. And anything that goes against what makes our worldview reinforced, uh, we have a tendency to slip under the rug, and we all do this, and it's really hard to check yourself. Uh, but media is made up of human beings, obviously, and they have the way that they see the world, and they have their own agendas. And I don't even want to say agendas; I just want to say we want to be right, we want to be proven right. And if you run an alternative media, or if you run a mainstream media, obviously, in the mainstream media, there's a lot of. Uh, brainwashing tactics that are deliberately employed but for the people that watch the mainstream media and for the people that aren't as devious we still fall victim to these these uh, mental flaws that we all have which is basically we don't want to admit that we could be wrong about something so we ignore the evidence that goes contrary to what we believe and we choose to jump on and Put a bullhorn on evidence that confirms what we want to believe, so it's something that uh, it, we all fall victim to it, and the best the best way that you or there i guess the two best ways that you could uh avoid falling victim to this yourself is number one we were talking about this before we went uh live is understanding and studying the trivium, understanding logic, grammar, and rhetoric, understanding how to filter through uh, the relevant pieces of information before you start spewing out stuff. And number two, I I tend to try to have influences in my life that aren't just going to be echo chambers for me. So I have friends, and as long as they're intelligent, and, and this is both on Facebook communities and in real life, Uh, I have lots of friends that are very intelligent but don't see things exactly the same way that I do and I have conversations with them and I try to take what they say very seriously and I try to give consideration to opposing points of view without just automatically getting defensive, which is a very hard thing to do for most people and for a long time was very hard for me to do, but I've learned the value of, of being open to other points of view and to trying to uh i guess not stifle my own cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias but at least give give allow other points of view to be weighed in before i jump out and start making declarations about something
0: yeah no that's a um, i think that helps i think you know smoking good marijuana or cannabis helps <laughs> It makes also, you more sensitive to other people. <laughs> yeah, most most of those conversations that I have other pe- with other people with other points of view definitely involve marijuana. So yeah, I should just say cannabis. It's like the uh, get away from the demonized word, but uh, that's uh, that's still a bad habit of mine. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree, man. Like it's you know we're in such a and I've been talking about this on the show a lot. So I'm sure my listeners are sick of it. But like people don't hear what you say; they hear what you keep saying. And like the when you look at um, when you look at like our media and our like it is such a competitive platform. Like everybody, like I mean, I work in an office, so I'm in like you know Cubeville, and everybody wants to talk about dumb shit that was on ESPN. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. Like I don't care. <laughs> yeah, of course, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith are going to argue because you guys think it's entertaining but that's like how people think you should communicate now. Like people are like modeling after this communication. So we, we can't have a discussion of ideas. Like my, the, the fact that I have a differing perspective can be like war for somebody and they get all, they all get all hot, huffy and puffy with you. And it's, it's just kind of crazy, man. Like it's, it's crazy that, um, that people like it's, it's just, what am I, what am I really trying to say? So it's, like, and I feel like that's what spurs it. So we can't have, like, I feel like if we could just discuss ideas, you know, you wouldn't have to like figure out, well, this person feel like, cause it's in every community too. Like it's in every, and, and I think people do it unintentionally because they don't realize that they've kind of been programmed to do it. And that's like, you know, if somebody has a different perspective, you know, they must be against you or the way you live or everything else. And like, and like, and it offends people that I'm for gun rights, like, you know, like I swear, like my friends that <clears throat> don't necessarily like, and I think too, like they like people who might like might think that uh, guns are bad, like having guns or gun ownership isn't a good thing. It's a silly thing because you know they watch too much of the Daily Show or something like that. And and it's it like the idea, the fact that I am for guns, like is like a threat to I feel like their existence, and they'll like come at me very hard. And really try like hard not to be, and I'm just really nice to them. And I and I see that they just want to result to name calling or ad hominem attacks. And it's just like it's it's really kind of a fascinating thing. Um does that make sense? Any of that makes sense that I just said, Nathan?
1: Yeah, I think probably I can relate to it. And I would say a large part of our audience that's gonna be listening to this can absolutely relate to it. It's uh it 's difficult trying to communicate unpopular ideas, and that 's something that I definitely have experience with um, but it really people are so used to certain types of communication when you look at like the media. It's all confirmation bias. It's if you want to be told that you're right about how evil guns are, then this is the channel for you. If you want to feel or validate if you want to feel validated or told that you're correct about how evil Mexicans are, this is the channel for you. And that's what people are used to. They're used to people constantly reinforcing their worldview. and one of the like rules of media is know your target audience know the rhetoric that they want to hear, constantly reinforce what they want to believe, and never, ever, ever bring anything into the realm of discussion that might make them question what they believe, because that'll make them uncomfortable, that'll make them change the channel. So media panders towards reinforcing worldviews. And that's what people get when they when they go home, they turn on their television, they pick the channel that reinforces what they want to believe, they absorb all that, and then when they go to work or when they go hang out with their buddies or whatever, um, as soon as something that isn't what they're used to getting from the media gets brought up, it makes them very uncomfortable, and a lot of times they go on the attack. And uh, it's, in my opinion, it's on us to look for ways, as people that want to expose people to new ideas or to uncomfortable ideas as people that want to expand the the scope of thought in the people around us. Uh, we kind of have maybe not a responsibility, but if we want to do it effectively, it's definitely a responsibility to learn how to communicate these bizarre and often threatening ideas in a way that doesn't automatically turn people off. And that's it's not something that's easy, especially when when you first get in to looking at some of these bizarre ideas and the majority of the people out there that are promoting these ideas are horrible. They, uh, when you look at like the major mouthpieces of, of any specific version of alternative media, uh, the biggest mouthpieces do the same thing that the media does. It's I know my target audience. I'm only going to say things that – are going to appeal to my target audience. And I'm not going to worry about how loony it sounds to other people. And I think that uh, to be effective communicators, it's, we kind of have to take it upon ourselves to learn how to, uh, we don't want to just be preaching to the choir all day. We don't want to just be stuck in an echo chamber where the sound of our voice never gets outside of the ears of people who already agree with us. Um, And so one of the things that I try to do with my radio show is I'm constantly bringing up uncomfortable uh, things that go against what the majority of my audience has been preconditioned to accept. And uh, it might not be the most successful business model for running a podcast or radio show, but I think it's a very valuable thing. And I think that learning how to think about things without automatically jumping to ad hominem attacks or without automatically getting on the defensive and, and putting up brick walls or forcing the other person to put up brick walls. I think that learning how to have conversations without them turning into confrontations is something that uh, we would all be better off if we would if we would just take a little bit of time to learn how to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty guilty of like just uh, like if I'm trying to have a conversation and then like somebody gets really confrontational, I just start trolling them, and I don't know if that's a bad thing, or a good <laughs> thing but it's just way more fun for me to like they just expose their splinters, as Daryl Becker would say, and just like keep touching them and keep poking them and keep letting them know. <laughs> Yeah, you don't like that, do you? And it, and it's funny. It's hilarious to do and like but actually like people realize that's what I'm doing and I'm like or like and it's 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 easy to do especially when people talk about sports. And uh <laughs> but like it it's it's like sometimes man and I know that's probably not the best approach but it's just like man, it's so fun and like sometimes like you let people I don't know. I don't think people learn the best through humiliation, but I don't know. It's like I have mixed a few I have mixed opinions about it just because it's it's just really fun to do sometimes, man. <laughs>
1: well, I feel like uh if it's you got to pick what your goal is and make sure that your steps are consistent with your goal. And sometimes some people are, They're just not going to you're not going to be able to reach them no matter what you do. And so when it comes to that point, I've had friends on Facebook. I've never well, I won't say never. Twice I've deleted people from my Facebook account, but uh, I typically don't delete people no matter how hard they try and troll me or no matter how confrontational they are. um, I enjoy having different points of view. I find it mentally challenging, not like in a short bus kind of way, but in a in a way that uh, you got to you got to rub your axe against a grindstone in order to make it sharp. Um, I enjoy having people challenge my beliefs. I enjoy having people uh, point out different points of view so that I can weigh them in and make sure that what I believe is actually consistent and doesn't have any flaws in it, which sometimes i find flaws and i have to reevaluate what i believe but uh some people they just don't and you can't rational you can't be rational with them you can't uh you can't have a conversation that is meant for growth with some people and when it, when it becomes apparent that you're wasting your time trying to talk to somebody then yeah put, poke a little bit at the splinters i mean <laughs> it, it, it's it's not if your goal is to try and help this person and you realize that taking the typical route of, of logically laying out a rational explanation is just not getting you anywhere before you just throw your hands up, you might as well poke a little bit f- of fun at their <laughs> ideals.
0: Yeah. Well, I think like, like, and I agree. Like, I think uh, my stepdad's really helped me develop my ideas because like I was, when I was first kind of starting, you know, I was, you know, I was listening to you and I was, and I was like, really? Cause before I was like a libertarian and I still believed in voting and all this other, all that other silliness. And, um, and then I just kind of realized, you know, what's the point, man? Like, why are we celebrating 1%? Like, that's like, yeah, we lost by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't like, it was just silly. And, uh, and then like, you know, and I think it, it took me a while to like, really, really kind of get rid of, you know, your, Well, what was interesting was I was, like, I was spamming about, like, libertarianism and Ron Paul, and then I was, like, oh, well, that did nothing. So then I started, like, just filling out these, uh, um, you can sign petitions. So I signed a ton of petitions, (laughs) and, like, digitally, and this was, like, kind of my stages. And then when I started the podcast, and I kind of, like, really started, like, discuss my ideas, like, things changed a lot. Like, it's really interesting when you can talk about your ideas, like it really like started to change my view and made me look at things a lot different. Like it really kind of look for contradictions and sort out my contradictions. So when my stepdad was asking me, so if somebody broke into your house, would you call the police? And it really took me a while to figure out that I wouldn't like, I really wouldn't unless like an insurance company wanted me to, to contact the police. Like I don't believe, I don't believe in that system. So I don't want to participate in it. Like I don't, I'm going to try to limit my participation as much as possible. Like, and and like, and he would always ask me questions. And I think like, if you learn to ask people the right questions, like that's, that's really what's going to help them. And, and sometimes like, if they, if that makes sense, like, it's always like, and I, and I think about like in sales, like, um, you know, to, we all, that's something that I've always, I've always been good at sales because I always knew how to like, ask people and just find what they were looking for so i would find it and i remember like i was talking to my aunt and we were talking about uh death with dignity like that's kind of like a uh, like a topic for me that like you know i'm actually really like it that's one thing that like if you should have the freedom over anything it should be about the way you go out of this world and if you're suffering why is that illegal for you to want to to end your life, like in a, and even if it is painful, but if you could do it in a way where you talk to your family about it and you, you can discuss and say, look, I'm, I'm done fighting. Like, you know, this isn't going to help that much. Like, I think, I think I just want to go out in a way that I don't have to take these crazy drugs or anything else. And, and I think if you're ready to hang up the towel and you can, you can talk to your family about it. And I think that's that, I think you should have that freedom. And I'm not just saying like, somebody that's, like, depressed, but even then, like, that's, like, a really weird thing when you think about freedom. Um, and, and I guess, like, watching, like, family members suffer, like, it really kind of made me be like, well, they should have had the option if they wanted to. Um, and, and I don't, and I think, like, and I was having a conversation with my aunt about it. She was Catholic, and I just started asking her questions, like, but don't you think you, like, why do you think that, like, where, where does the root of your belief that this is inherently bad come from? like if you ever addressed that because like that's what i had to do for a lot of my belief systems like why did i think it was okay to vote why did i think that this made a difference why did i think that uh you know why was i why was i catholic for so many years that does that make sense man like just kind of going through yeah so socrates had a very similar way of teaching
1: which was called the socratic method and it was basically all question based and uh it was Rather than telling you this is the answer, just take my take my word for it, take it on faith, um, he would walk you through a series of questions that you would have to answer for yourself. And by answering those questions and by working out your own inconsistencies, you would come to a logical conclusion or at least that was the goal. Um, And for a lot of us, people that are autodidactic or people that are intrigued by alternative ideas, for a lot of us, we have to do this on an internal dialogue. We have to come to our beliefs by questioning our previous beliefs. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with doing that. But I found that uh, the best way that I found um, to getting people to wake up to alternative ideas or to getting people to uh, think about things that they normally wouldn't have ha- have ever thought about, uh, instead of telling them that they're wrong, instead of attacking them like what well, most of us are taught to do. That's the media. That's how they teach us how to communicate. Uh, most of most of our communications growing up are power over structured type of communications where somebody says, no, I'm the authority figure. You listen to me and you do what I say. And uh, we get that from our parents. We get that from our teachers. We get that from the media. We get that from police officers. We get it from judges. And so that's what most of us are used to. And that's how we turn around and communicate with each other. Uh, but it's not very effective. It, it really only is effective if you can actually convince people that you are an authority over them and uh, that they have to listen to what you say. Uh, what I found to be much more effective is exactly what you said asking people questions and everybody has at least one issue that you can find as a wedge issue as as something as a way to get your your foot in the door. Uh, some people are suspicious of public schools, some people are suspicious of uh, welfare. Some people are suspicious of vaccines. Some people are suspicious of that. There's a whole myriad of topics that you can all if you can find that one topic with somebody, that one co- piece of common ground where you can overlay your maps and say, yeah, see, we're, we're looking at the world the same. And then by asking questions, well, uh, if you if you bring up one example and you ask questions and you lead them to thinking in the same critical way about something else, that they've believed that you might find value in, in re-examining, um, by asking people questions seems to be what I've found to be the most effective way to actually get people thinking about stuff because the whole power over, the whole personal attack uh, communication model that we're all used to has a tendency to put brick walls up and stop people from hearing anything that you're trying to say. So... By, I guess uh, there's a there's a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by, I think, Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey, that's a great book. It's a staple. Yeah, yeah, one of the things that he talks about is making sure that people feel understood before you try and get them to understand you. And if you just go in there barking at them and trying to tell them, uh, this is the way it is and this is why you're wrong, you're not going to get anywhere with 99% of people. Uh, but if you go in there and you say... I really want to know where you're coming from so that we can have a productive conversation so that once you feel like I understand where you're coming from, you might actually try and take the time to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, You're you're not going to get 100% of the people that way, but you're going to get a much larger percent than if you just go with the power over type of conversations.
0: That's a great book too because he talks about his examples of always how – he went in a situation and didn't do one of those habits, and he'll like and he'll be like, at first I wasn't really. Uh, that's a great book. I haven't read that book in a while. Yes, seek to understand and not to be understood, uh, and think win win. I think are two really good principles from that book. Um, always thinking win win, and I think that's that's interesting too. I, I was talking to uh, Gino Denning about uh, why I don't really like sports that much anymore. And like how sports are really just a simulation of war most of the time. The only thing I really like is, uh, is MMA for like combat wise for like a a sport where it's kind of like that. And, uh, and it was interesting. He was like, that's just because you no longer are looking for to compete. You're looking more for a win-win. And I was like, Oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think, uh, a lot of one of the things that, uh,
1: is very powerful is when you start looking for win-win situations. And I still, I mean, because of 20 plus years previous of programming of win-lose thinking, uh, I still have to catch myself and try and find win-win solutions. And it's much, it's, it's a lot more difficult. I mean, our entire societal structure, government itself is a Uh, win-lose. You get money, this person loses money. Um, It's, it's always this zero sum game where one person has to lose in order for another person to win. And often it's actually lose-lose scenarios when it comes to the way our society is currently organized. Um, But a lot of, one of the things that's really appealing to me, and, and I don't, Full on call myself an anarcho-capitalist I don't really like any labels But I am I don't believe in the state It's not a legitimate thing It's a figment of the imagination And it is horribly destructive To have this This concept of the state I I absolutely reject the concept Um, And I believe that uh, If if people are going to have A prosperous society outside of the state The most Logical and prosperous type of society is probably going to be an anarcho-capitalist type of society. But what really appeals me or it's what what I find really appealing or what really draws me to a lot of the people that I've met in the anarcho-capitalist community is a lot of them are very much in the win-win mentality. A lot of them are... are their, their vision of being successful is not just how do I get as much money as I possibly can, their vision of being successful is how do I make a living while providing something that helps my community and that's a that's something that none of the other alternative mindsets of uh, of of uh freedom movement or whatever none of them really have that win win mentality that Permeates through the anarcho-capitalist community a lot of the other ideas for how to have a freer world are very much Well, how do I have a world that's freer suited towards my what I want? How do I have a world that's more suited towards what will make me comfortable? How can I best be free at the expense of the people around me and anarcho-capitalists? tend to have the idea of saying well, I'm not sure how I'm going to benefit from not having the state. But I know that as a as a whole, we'll have a lot more win-win situations. And I'm willing to give up that certainty. I'm willing to give up what makes me comfortable in order to make sure that we can all work together to make each other as prosperous as possible. And uh, that's what I really find attractive about most of the friends that I have that do consider themselves anarcho-capitalists.
0: Yeah, I would agree, man. I think that's what was most attractive for me. Um because of because of those principles, man. Like it's not it's about collaboration, not comp, not comp, like and I think like you can compete. There's healthy competition, man. You can have fun. But I think like the just I mean, so many people don't get that all regulations are just ways for companies to create a monopoly. Like that's what a regulation is, and and like, and I think once you rid rid the world of regulations, and you can just like, if I have an idea and you take it and you make it better, isn't that the the isn't that what I wanted for my idea to begin with? And I it, it it's it's just it kind of goes back to like the intellectual property thing. Like I've sent you so many shirts from Ripped Apparel um, that I thought were cool that I knew you would like, like Ninja Turtle shirts. They're just <laughs> they're just creative because it's like a mashup of different different like like different stuff from that era like it's the turtles with star wars or something like that or star wars with the ninja turtles and it's just like the the whole a mashup of that idea and that that creativity it like it, it 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 definitely like releases dopamine and it's like oh man that's super cool i want to see more stuff like that and i think and in and, and unfortunately we don't necessarily live in a world that really promotes that or live in a live in the our government doesn't really want things like that because they want they want it to be harder. Well that's somebody else's idea so you have to pay them so much money. And it's just like man, I, I think you should just let people like let, let people take an idea and run with it. Like they're not stealing anything from you in a sense. Like um it, i hope all this stuff makes sense, man. Whenever I explain things I'm like that's my biggest thing, Nathan. I'm like, am I am I coming off <laughs> <laughs> No
1: it, 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 I think we should strive for a world where people can light their torches off of other people's fires. And if I light my torch off of your fire, I haven't deprived you of fire. We both have fire now. And uh, if, if there's like a good example of this, I'm, I'm a musician. I grew up in hip hop. Uh, I love uh, a lot of rap music. I really hate, but I love the idea, the spirit behind hip hop music. And uh, a lot of it, A lot of the best hip hop is completely illegal because it's all mixtapes. It's people taking somebody else's uh, instrumentals and rapping on top of them. Or uh, there was an example from a few years back. Somebody put out an album called The Grey Album, where they took instrumentals from the Beatles' White Album and they took lyrics from Jay-Z's Black Album and they put it together and made just this phenomenal piece of artwork that's completely illegal, according to copyright law. And
0: uh it would have sold more albums than any other album that year, Danger Mouse
1: yeah yeah it was and it, it was incredibly successful, but it was a hundred percent illegal and when when you start looking at um how government and copyright laws and regulations how their copyright is so hard to get through people's heads, especially content creators because they believe that. And, and this is what really trips me up inside of the inside of the freedom community, as far as like copyright, cr- people using copyright to stifle uh, people working with what they started. Um, it, it's 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 a, a, a lust to control people. It's saying, well, I thought of something, therefore I'm going to use the government to stop you from mimicking me or stop you from copying me or stop you from taking my idea and running with it. And it's a completely anti-freedom idea to think that because you thought of something, somebody else should be stopped from being able to duplicate or work with that knowledge. And it, it is, it's, it's a form of censorship, in my opinion, it's it's pro-censorship to say, now that you understand how something works, you're not allowed to act upon it. If you can break down how something works and you have all the tools at your disposal to duplicate it, but I'm going to use the government to stop you from doing it, Um it's to me, it's 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 abusive. It's a form of slavery, and it's a uh, it's a form of censorship. We see how many YouTube videos get pulled for uh, copyright violation all the time. Mox News, which is a great channel, I think he's had to, whoever runs that channel has had to fight off thousands of copyright claims by saying, "Well, it's fair use," but he shouldn't even have to. Uh, but the news loves to. Censor people by copyright claims, Uh, people in general, even inside inside the liberty movement, uh, a lot of people will use IP to censor uh, either critics or censor people that want to compete with them. And that's one of the things that at least... At face, a lot of people inside of the anarcho capitalist community uh, reject that concept. And a lot of, like, I, I don't know if you got to meet Drew or Drew or uh, Davi from um, Shiny Badges or, or uh, um, I, Silver Dime Cards.
0: I had Davi on the podcast. He's pretty cool, man. I like Davi.
1: Yeah. So they started up these the Silver Dime Card project a couple years ago and they made these really cool uh, little trading cards that had silver dimes in them and one of the first things that they did once they started it was make a video on youtube showing how they made them and said here you want to compete with us this is exactly how we do it this is our secret and if you want to make it Here's the instructions. We'd love to see some people compete with us and come up with better ideas. And uh, that's a very win-win mentality that seems to be lacking in the majority of other alternative realms.
0: Yeah, um, and that's the whole thing is like you can't – and the whole point of them doing that is to try to disrupt free market and disrupt uh, technology. man. And and you, you can't. Like you cannot stop. You cannot fight either thing there's always going to be a market for something and technology is always going to disrupt those markets. Like it's always going to shift something and you cannot control it. It's just kind of, I mean, it really is nature. It really is kind of like the nature of the, the flow of, I guess, uh, currency or whatever you use or, or just what people want and, and supply and demand. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, and I think, you know, that, that is such an excellent point, man. And, um, Well, uh, uh, if you don't mind me interjecting, no, no, not at all. A lot of
1: times, I'm sitting looking out my window, and I have a creek that runs through the the runs by the trail in my backyard. Um, A lot of times, uh, a regulation or a copyright law is basically like throwing a rock inside of a stream. And we saw with Napster when they when they tried to throw the rock in the stream of Napster. Uh, eventually it just led to torrent downloading. And we're watching, I think we're going to watch the same thing happen with like alternative currencies like Bitcoin and Litecoin. They're going to try and regulate those and what what it's going to basically amount to is throwing a rock in the stream and and the community is going to just find a way to flow around that rock. Realistically though, when you think about it, what's the goal of throwing that rock in the stream? What's the goal of of copyright, what's the goal of regulations, the goal is to stop the stream. And that is completely antithetical to what is in our human nature. We shouldn't be trying to figure out ways to clog up the stream so that we have complete control of the water it's information, it's knowledge. And once it's out there, it's out there. And somebody using that knowledge does not deprive you of your right to use knowledge. And the whole point of having property is to define who has the right to use scarce or rivalrous rivalrous resources. There's only so much land. There's only so many cars. There's only so many houses. There's only so many trees. There's only so much food. We need to have a way to to figure out who has the first claim of right to use these scarce resources, to use these rivalrous rivalrous resources. But with ideas, it's like the fire example. When I take some fire from your torch and light my torch, I haven't deprived you the right to use your fire. So it's not a scarce or rivalrous resource. There's no reason to have a construct of property law around something that isn't. And what it really does is the reason that we have property rights in the first place is to deal with the fact that there is scarcity. There is scarcity. We have to deal with that. Therefore we need to figure out some sort of way to handle who has the first claim of right to use whatever piece of property. But when it comes to intellectual property, instead of dealing and, and, uh, making a livable situation out of the fact that there's scarcity, copyright law takes something that there is absolutely no scarcity in, which is ideas, and then instead creates an an, uh, an imaginary scarcity or a, a, a scarcity that wouldn't exist otherwise. So it's doing the exact opposite of what property rights are supposed to do, which is deal with scarcity and make a functional society with the fact that we have scarce resources taking intellectual property and and saying that ideas are property is doing the exact opposite of what property rights are supposed to do, which is dealing with scarcity and it creates a false scarcity that wouldn't exist otherwise.
0: Yeah. You nailed it, man. I don't, uh, I don't really have anything to add to that, (laughs) 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 but yeah, man, I think, uh, it's, it's just dead on like, uh, even man, the, I think the best hip hop though, to get back to it was, uh, is that style like that the gray album actually kind of turned me on to mf doom and then i found this guy dj food stamp who stopped making stuff he'd always take mashups to mf doom beats like old hip-hop and put them to mf doom beats and he did other stuff like that too not to get too much off topic but um, no but it's it's beautiful though it's 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 my favorite music to listen to and and there's no money in it so that now the guy's like i don't even know what that guy's doing anymore it's kind of sad yeah, and
1: the the other thing about it is is not only it, when you come to that type of stuff, the the underground market of intellectual property, um, there's not that much money to be made in it. There's mixtape DJs that go and sell their CDs out the trunk of their car, and they make a, a decent amount of money off of it. But it's nothing compared to what the lawyer fees are going to be for when they get sued. So, it what. What intellectual property does is, it takes something that is beautiful, something that should thrive in a free market, and it disincentivizes it, and it makes people, it makes the artists who want to take uh, what somebody else created and morph it into their own creation. It takes the artists, and it completely eliminates the possibility of their art or disincentivizes the possibility of their art coming to the market and it's really ridiculous because when you think about it as art uh, somebody created this beat somebody created these lyrics somebody else wants to take them together and make a new portrait or a new piece of artwork to think that the person who created the beat and the person who created the lyrics has a right to stop you from creating a new piece of artwork off of it is kind of like saying well This guy created some oil painting or some oil paint and this guy created a a canvas, but You're allowed to buy both of those, but the minute that you take them and try and rearrange them and make your own painting with this guy's paint and this guy's canvas, you're not allowed to go sell that painting because you've infringed on the people's property rights of who you originally bought the paint and the canvas from. It's ridiculous, but for some reason, we have this double standard where sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's not, and it's just based off of arbitrary whims. Created by giant corporations and written into law by politicians
0: yeah, yeah absolutely man it's uh it's messed up man <laughs> uh yeah i i I totally agree i think um you know I think we need to embrace art more as a culture i think uh I think what's interesting too, I was thinking about like protesting versus like uh just making art to to like i feel like when you protest through like an art form it's it's actually way more effective than just going and standing in a street and holding up a sign um and i think like you know you can make pictures can like i mean picture what are what is the term isn't like pictures are worth like a thousand words or something like that yeah and and it's so true like i I think that uh like just kind of getting on the top of art and kind of like everything that we've talked about today like i think i think if people just learn to express themselves artistically it would it would like solve a lot of problems in our world because i think people don't know how and like you know non-creative people try to try to capitalize off of creative people so many like just all the time and it's I don't know if this is making any sense, but it's like it's and it's probably usually the non the least creative person that is like having a beef with. Like, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I thought Lars is the least talented in Metallica. There we go. Fuck you. Lars. <laughs> and that's why he got so mad. But it's like, you know, you can't you can't you know, you, you can't just get all upset because you think somebody's trying to get your Kool-Aid um, like it, it's people. If people thought you made good music, they'll buy music. People still buy albums that they think are good. And they can get it for free anytime. Like there are people that are scared of it, and there are people that are brainwashed into thinking that it's not good. But all right, so here's an example: The Expendables three came out. Like it was released on the internet and DVD quality like a month before it came out, and I watched it and I thought it was great. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to the damn movie theater and I'm going to watch it again because I think it's a good movie and I want to support it. So it's it's not that like people just like people it gives people an option like look man let the market tell you if if you're good like look if if i want to put contribute like contri- if you want to contribute to my podcast cuz you think it's good great but if people don't want to contribute then oh well man then apparently they don't give a shit enough to contribute to my podcast and i'm not saying i don't have anything set up for people to contribute but i think that's a good example and i think like that's um i think when it comes to like podcasting or or like online radio i think like that's kind of the powerful thing about it like like it's not something that like i'm gonna make i'm not gonna make any money from having this conversation with you in a sense like that wasn't the the point of this of our conversation is not to make money it's the it's 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 for us to discuss ideas however who knows somebody could listen to it and they'll be like i like these guys these guys are interesting Maybe I do want to try to do something business-related with them or something like that. So we're going to get some social capital of it. Or maybe you know somebody that – I know somebody that like you Like – let's say you're starting a business and you so know somebody that like you need to find somebody that can do this. And I happen to know somebody that can do that. So I can link the two of you up. And it's it's more about like building a, a network of people. And I think that's what people need to, to focus on is like, you know, not like – not like hey, you you shouldn't do this because I want all those consumers, all those consumers are mine there's my property, and it's like no man they're they're really not um they people want to have options for a reason, and if they choose your option, then keep doing what you're doing if that makes sense man like that's that's I think that's that's the idea i I said like four ideas in there, so <laughs> hopefully it made sense
1: yeah I think uh it it makes sense, and when you kind of look at it um it is kind of like a it's it's a wanting to control people it's it's uh wanting to a lot of people say well if you take my cd and you burn it and then you sell it that's like metallica if you take my cd and you and you put it on the internet for people to download for free on napster you share my cd with other people that means they're not going to buy it well the truth of the matter is if somebody's going to take your cd for free uh <clears throat> It's, it's a good possibility that they weren't going to buy it anyways. If they don't buy it, it's not because somebody gave them the ability to download it for free. Uh, the music industry in particular for a long time and this is starting to fade away now but for a long time they only had to focus on like two tracks they they'd make a cd full of crap and filler music and then they'd make two tracks that were going to be that were intentionally designed to be the radio tracks and they would try and sell the whole album based off of those two tracks and you would buy the CD and more often than not, you'd spend $15 on a CD for the two songs that you heard on the radio. You get home and you pop the CD in and the whole rest of the CD is crap. And that's why people stopped buying CDs. It's not because, oh, we can get them for free because a lot of times, especially now, you can just download the one or two songs that you like And you don't have to get the whole rest of the CD that's using up space on your hard drive or taking up a slot in your CD carrier in your car. Uh, What happened with with digital music was more a result of musicians and and, um, record labels forcing crap on the consumer and them finding a way to not have to – them finding a way to pick out – what's up and not having any competition though like they well yeah exactly but now we've we've watched that through the digital revolution of of media we've watched that dissipate and um another thing to to keep in mind is these copyrights aren't 99% of the time, they're not owned by the artists or the scientists that actually come up with the idea. The The patents and the copyrights, 90% of the time, 99% of the time, are actually owned by whatever label or whatever business that those people are tied to. So a lot of times... Uh, A good example of this is Prince, the artist Prince. For a long time, for like two or three years, he wasn't even allowed to use his own name because he left his label and his label owned not only all of his music, but they owned his name. So when he left, he had to use that little weird Prince symbol that he used for a while.
0: The artist formerly
1: known. Exactly. And the whole reason for that was because even though he came up with the name, he didn't actually own it, the label. And you were talking about people with no creativity exploiting people or using people with creativity. Copyright, that's what 99% of copyright is, is people without any creativity owning people with creativity are owning the works from people with creativity. So copyright, were sold it as, well, it's a way to protect artists. It's a way to protect inventors. But the reality of the situation is it's not. The 99% of the use of copyright is a way to protect the company, the business, the record label, the, uh, you know, Apple or, or Samsung. It's a way to protect the corporation from the artists so that the artists can't uh, work their way out from underneath the thumb of the giant corporation and so uh, w- when you really start to look at it the only thing that justifies the the emotional appeal to copyright which is we need to protect the artist or we need to protect the inventor that's not even in 99 percent of the time that's not not even what it's actually being used for so that's not what that's not a legitimate argument
0: yeah that that just made me think of a couple things number one um like, it's really fun to see that the guy that owns all the Tesla patents are opening up for everybody to use for the Tesla cars. And yeah. That, and that's that's really exciting. And what was the other thing I was thinking about? Um, well, it slipped my mind. It was something else that was like, well, I did think about wrestling, too, when you were saying that. Uh, <laughs> last time we talked about wrestling, I haven't watched wrestling in a long time. But I remember when I was a little kid, wrestlers would lead the WWE. And then they'd come back as a different character in WCW. I uh-huh. never understood that it was because WWE actually owned that the right to that character. Mm-hmm. And I remember like uh, when when uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left their Razor Ramon and Diesel, they actually had a fake Razor Ramon and Diesel because uh, they owned they owned the rights to that to those characters. And it was uh and Kane actually I think was uh, Diesel. And then uh, I forget who was Razor Ramon, but, anyways, it was just and it's kind of the same thing. But uh, I think, yeah, I think the the funny thing is, is like the they people freak out so much, and it's in about it, and it's like, man, if you just actually embraced it and let other people develop it, they'll save you a bunch of time, and in reality, they'll probably just make your product better.
1: Well, and and we see that also with with the rise of digital media, um, I, I, I like Hong Kong. Hong Kong is not very big on intellectual property. And, uh, the concept, I'm a big comic book guy. You probably wouldn't be able to tell it by looking at me, but while well, you mentioned earlier that I'm a huge Ninja Turtles nerd, but, uh, um, I like comic books and, uh, In different areas of the world, they view intellectual property differently. Here in America, with our copyright law, which we try and force on the rest of the world through treaties, uh, but here in America, if somebody makes a comic book and you try to make a fan comic book off of it, you can totally be sued and shut down. But in like Hong Kong, it's a very thriving business where people will take X-Men characters and make their own little fan comics and they'll go sell them. They'll go print them out and they'll sell them on the sides of street corners. And it doesn't hurt Marvel sales. It actually helps Marvel sales because now they have, uh, you know, addendums or supplementary stories and Marvel only puts out the issue once a month. This keeps people interested in 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 between issues. These other fanzines keep people interested Uh, on YouTube. Now, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like verses where people do little fan movies where one guy will dress up like Batman and another guy will dress up like Deadpool and they'll do like a Batman versus Deadpool, which is from two different companies. Marvel owns Deadpool, DC owns Batman. Um, and you'll, you'll see people do like their own little fan movies, which is totally illegal and which could totally be yanked from YouTube. But it introduces people that are big, long time Batman fans, but have never heard of Deadpool. They'll be searching for Batman. They'll see this Deadpool versus Batman and they'll be like oh this character's intriguing I'm going to go find out more about him and there all of a sudden Marvel has a new fan from something that they had absolutely nothing to do with but they've now got somebody who's going to go out and buy their comic books so the idea that we need to be protected by limiting or, or government-granted monopolies on who's allowed to use the idea and that's how we protect the original content creator um, and even that is an example like Batman Batman was created by Bob Kane, but DC owns the character of Batman. Uh, Deadpool was created by Rob Liefeld, but Marvel owns Deadpool. And if Rob Liefeld goes to another company, which he did, uh, he he helped start this small company that became big called Image Comics. Um, he created the character of Deadpool, which is one of Marvel's like main characters. Now he created this guy, he put a ton of work into writing the backstory and, and, and developing him artistically. And then when he left and went to another company, he's not even allowed to use the character that he created. So that's really what copyright does is it stops people from using, it gives monopolies to use an idea, which is just preposterous. But a lot of times, I mean, the people that actually came up with the idea are written out of that monopoly and once they leave the company they're working for, they're not even allowed to use that idea anymore and it was their
0: idea to begin with. Well, Nathan, that artist should just be happy that that company gave him a job with benefits.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but, and, and it's part of his contract. He signed an agreement yeah. to it, whatever, but it's just preposterous. It's just crazy to think that uh, government can grant people monopolies on expressions of ideas.
0: But do you remember when like Ang Lee left Marvel and that was like a big deal? And also, yeah. I remember the same guy, like, there's characters in DC. Um, like, Thanos looks a lot like another character in DC that's like a reoccurring uh I forget his name, but they look. I think his name's Doomsday.
1: Doomsday. No, not Doomsday. No, uh, he, I don't know who you're talking about. He was
0: part of so- that Doomsday thing because the Green Lantern had to fight him um, when Superman yeah. was coming back. And uh, the Green Lantern, like, the green. Okay, so for people that don't know, yellow is the Green Lantern's weakness. <laughs> the color yellow, and so he like he souped up and he grabbed something that wasn't yellow and he smashed the guy with it to beat him. Um, so it was kind of interesting, but anyways, uh, it I was just thought it was funny, but you know, it's um um yeah, I just wanted to nerd out and talk to you about comics there, but. It's, it, but it's really true. Like the artist or the creator is never the person that's actually seeing those benefits. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's not really a good thing. Copyright um, infringement. It's,
1: it's uncreative people using the government to allow yeah. them to own the work of creative people.
0: Well, they need regulations. If what, <laughs> what would we do if we didn't have this brilliant government to regulate things? It, it's just funny because people don't – and then they use words like regulations. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like a good thing. I think I need to be regulated. But it's like, no, not at all. It doesn't make it any safer for you at all. Yeah. Regulating things like, like – look, if people – and that's the whole thing too. Like You don't need that because, if look, if somebody has a bad product in the business world, people are going to find out about it. And they're going to be like, yeah, we have things like Yelp now that solve that problem.
1: Or even even things like uh, consumer advocacy groups, or Consumers Digest, or stuff like that. To be honest, I mean, I would much rather pay for a subscription to a magazine that voluntarily did regulations or or voluntarily did. Voluntarily did gradings of different restaurants around town. Restaurants is the best example because that's one of the most regulated industries right now is food industry. Um, I would much more trust to subscribe to a magazine for $20 a year that – had a list of all these restaurants and restaurants would be incentivized to allow themselves to be listed because they knew that number one, it's promotional and free advertising, but they also know that people trust the reviews of this magazine in uh, this magazine, two or three times as part of their agreement with everybody that they list and funded by people that subscribe to their magazine uh every four months or every three months, they go in and they check to make sure that you have hot water and you they make sure that you're not dropping food on the ground or you don't have cockroaches um, and so regulation itself or or some sort of uh standards in, in, you know, not imposed, but come up created by third parties and saying, Hey, if you meet these standards, because these are the standards that the community wants or that the customer wants, if you meet these standards, we'd be glad to tell people about your business. And there's a whole new business model that's completely, uh, not even on the table right now. I, I mean, that's, that's employment for, tens of thousands of people across the united states for a new a brand new business model that we're not even allowed to or we're not even given the option right now to explore um I would much I would feel much more comfortable trusting somebody like that than trusting state regulators to go. I've worked in restaurants when the state regulator comes in. They tell us, hey, next week we're going to be coming visiting or they show up and it's a surprise. But either way, uh, everybody puts away their their water. They they hide their jacket. They make sure that they don't get in trouble. But it's all for show. It's for that one time out of the six months that the regulator shows up. Um, And realistically, uh, it it. The regulations stop competition. They stop people from being able to set up shop and compete with the people that are able to comply with the, with the regulations. And in a free market, there would be a lot more restaurants. There would be a lot more people springing up. And they would just naturally if, – if, if other business models were allowed to exist like the one that I mentioned earlier where people say, hey – advertise or not advertise, but allow us to come in and inspect and we'll let people know that's going to incentivize people to have the best quality of food possible, to have the best quality of restaurant possible, to have the best quality of dining room possible. It's going to incentivize people to automatically hit those marks that we think the regulations are going to force people to hit. Plus it's going to create tons of new jobs that are all voluntarily, uh, created. They're not forced to pay for through the tax system. And that's just one example. If we freed the market on one thing, if we freed the market on everything, hundreds of thousands of new jobs would be created almost overnight. And realistically thinking about it, poverty would probably disappear within a month or two. I mean, obviously, some people just don't want to work. I kind of feel like that sometimes, but I'm a very driven person. So, uh, maybe I would just keep working just because, but, um, a lot of people that are searching for jobs right now that are on unemployment that really want to work. If we just stopped regulating the market so well or so much and started letting the market regulate itself through voluntary interactions, through, uh, through accreditation systems or through reputation services like eBay or Amazon do, or, or took that business model and applied it, you know, the consumer reports business model and applied it across the board, we would have so many people looking for employees. We would have so many people starting up businesses, looking for people to work that workers would have so many jobs to choose from that all of a sudden those workers would have much more power in the negotiation process of saying well you know if you don't hire me there's 50 other people that just started up businesses that would love to hire me so if you can't work with my schedule i've got all these other guys that will or if you can't pay me what i feel like i'm worth there's all these other guys that will and the the net benefit for communities To individuals, to the entire quote-unquote nation state, if we would just free up the marketplace and get rid of this idea that regulations and copyrights are needed for a sustainable market, um, the reality of the situation is if if we got rid of that and just let the market be open and let voluntarily agreed to resolutions arise to solve these problems that we keep relying on government copyrights and government regulations to solve – we would see a a rise of prosperity in this country and worldwide because I think a lot of people would adopt it if they saw how successful it was. Um, I, I think that 90% of the problems that we think only can be solved with government are actually perpetrated or perpetuated by government and would just be completely non-existent in a world without government.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree, man. I think, uh, I think too, like I think, you know, we should really start focusing on just even in your local community too. Like just, um, and I think like if people within a community just, just start to like focus cause it's like, I guess I kind of forgot to say and like how to make this change. I think if like, if a community locally just kind of rejects it, you can like kind of build from there. Like if, if that makes sense, like, um, and I think like, uh, and what you were talking about too, with like the, um, uh, Restaurants. Um, I think that's why food trucks are popping up. Are food trucks really big in Colorado now. Is they're gaining
1: popularity because our food industry in Colorado is so overly regulated. It's almost impossible to start up any kind of food business. But the food trucks are not quite as badly regulated, so they're uh, they're starting to gain popularity. But out in California, which is where I've I kind of bounce back and forth between Colorado and California. Out in California, they're so heavily regulated that uh, even ice cream trucks are starting. I mean, it's California. It's hot. Everybody wants ice cream, but even ice cream truck businesses are starting to decline because uh, the state has just latched their hooks into the ice cream truck industry. Um, and the food truck industry in general, but yeah, out here the food trucks are starting to gain popularity because they don 't have to jump through all the crazy regulatory hoops that uh everybody else does
0: yeah i um we just had this food truck festival out here like it 's like a huge thing out here, and they charge a lot of money for their food and it 's crazy people just line up to uh to pay like and it 's just like but at the same time like why wouldn't you want food trucks? Why wouldn't you want more competition? If you have a good product, you can stand by People are still going to go there. Like, my favorite burger joints right now are all, like, locally sourced foods. And it's like they get their, their foods from a farm. And I remember I went to this food truck festival, and there was, like, 20 minutes. And it, I kind of felt like I was at Cedar Point, which is, like, a really big theme park out here. But, like, at the very end, instead of riding an awesome ride, I got to pay for overpriced food. Um, <laughs> and uh, But it was all pretty good. My buddy had a truck out there and he's his business has just taken off. Um and I think it is because it's less regulated. I I I definitely think it's uh I think you're definitely right, man, but um well I tell you what, Nathan? I've had real, you on for a while, my man. We're at like an hour and 20 minutes. Um real quick before before you cut me off. Oh, my bad. Yeah, keep going. Um
1: I do want to just say you mentioned that if communities started adopting these other principles that we would you know you know as a as a way to get from where we are to where we would ideally like to be if communities on a local level started started you know adopting these principles of of free market or adopting these principles of just working around the the regulations or or saying you know throwing the regulations to the wind or throwing copyright to the wind um Right now, I feel like that community actually is being built, but it's not being built in the physical world. It's being built on the online world. And we are watching community. That's where the ideas like Bitcoin came from, is from people that said, you know, we don't really like what governments are doing with money. We want to do something different. Uh, we're, we're watching people, agorist businesses starting up on the internet. We're watching p- like Alma from, uh, from Arizona and, and the whole... Uh, the whole Jackalope Freedom Festival, one of the things that she really focuses on is bringing together agorist communities or agorist business owners. And we're watching a community start to spring up. And it's it's one or two people here and one or two people there. But it's definitely growing and it's it's gaining momentum. And uh, a lot of people are doing exactly what you said you think the solution to this is or how to get from here to there. A lot of people are actually uh, out there taking those steps right now and one of the things that you the listener can do is actively search out those people and patronize them give them uh your money when, when you want to buy something look and see if there's people that are like-minded and and doing what you want done and make sure that you go to those people instead of going to uh these these big giant corporations that uh, that are not like-minded and that are relying on government regulations to uh stifle their competition and copyrights to stifle their competition Um, it's possible now like you said with the food truck example uh, you were glad to pay the extra money to support somebody who was a like-minded business owner who was following a business model that you were uh, that you found morally consistent Um, it's it's easier now than ever to find those type of business people out there so take advantage of it and support those people
0: yeah, I agree, um, and I agree too. In like a uh, couple things. So Alma, yeah, she's got quite the community in Arizona, man. There's a lot of people in Arizona that are like really kind of, and it's cool too. And then like uh, to just talk to about the jackalope real quick. Like there was a whole community that drove from San Diego too. They drove like eight hours, and they and they're building. And so yeah, I agree. Like you know, look at look at things like Meetup.com or. I mean, you know, I was fortunate, um, like we were talking about before, to before I even really discovered the real liberty movement versus just like people that vote for libertarian candidates, like what I was. <laughs> um, like I found a community, and like my, my best friends now are people that I've met through the internet, and I and I can hang out with them in in physical reality. Um, and we want to build something. We want to like buy land and start a community and and uh, grow our own food and become locally resilient from everything else. And I think that, and I think, yeah, like, and, and, like here's, the th- and here's the thing, too, and, I, and, I, and I'm glad you said it, is, like, you know, just start a, start a damn business, man. Like, go out and try to find, like, turn your hobbies, things that you love to, to fucking do and try to make money from it or, like, try to do, like, there's so much cool things. Like, I was, man, I was watching this guy drag race with a smart car. And he was just demolishing these muscle cars because it's lightweight and he put some big, big engine in it. And it's like, fuck, man, I'd buy a smart car. It probably still <laughs> has good gas mileage if it could, like, and it's just like, you know, you take something and like people want customized stuff or even like, um, I think the sneaker world is a huge, huge, huge example for me. Like, my one of my best friends, uh, you know, and I guess it's like a sponsor of the show, but not really. It's just my friend's business. Um sneakersavage dot com. It takes you to his Twitter page, but like like Jordans are a huge deal and people have some like some moral issues because of, you know, they uh they outsource their factories in in uh um Indonesia, but at the same time like I don't want to sound like a prick, but like it's it's just kinda like It is, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it is what it is. Like, but anyways, it's a huge market. So like, there's this guy, um, I think his name is, it's like JR customs or JB customs. He was like a big dude wanted to wear those shoes. And I wear, I'm like a tall, like I'm like six, three, I, in Nikes, I wear like size 13 to 14 to 15 other shoes I can squeeze into 13, but it's hard for me to find shoes that I like so I can relate. So this guy got tired of, of, uh, not being able to buy shoes. So then he just started making his own and he just started customizing his own shoes. And now the dude has a huge business. Like it's like $2,000 to consult with this guy because his time has become so valuable because so many people want to mess with him. And it's like, you know, put if you put like if you put time and effort into something, man, like your value is going to go up just naturally because people will want to mess with you and people will want to consult you or people will want your time so you can. And they will gladly pay you money for your time. So I guess like my moral of this is like value your time and realize that like you you you're worth more than what your job's paying you. Um, what do you think? Do you think that's a good message, Nathan? I think that, and I think that also understanding that
1: this is something that we pointed out or we touched on earlier and, and we could really just wrap it up with it. Understanding that what that guy did was a win-win situation. He found something that he was interested in that he knew there was a need for for himself. And there was obviously a need for in the community. And uh, what he did is he an, an open gap in the market and filled it. And has become successful by providing something that people want and something that people need. And that's a win-win. He's winning and the people around him are getting something that they wouldn't get otherwise they their winning as well and that's what entrepreneurship that's what anarcho-capitalism is all about is becoming successful by doing what other people need or by fulfilling a need that other people have and uh as long as as long as you can think in those type of terms of how can uh, anarchists and anarcho-capitalists and libertarians in general have this this uh, negative connotation or this idea about how they're just greedy and self-serving and they don't like government because they don't want to take care of the poor people. But the reality of the situation is people that are like-minded like us, we understand that the best way to be successful is to take care of the needs of the community. And it's really the exact opposite of the stereotype that we're given.
0: I agree. Well, Nathan, thank you for joining me. People, go to Live Free FM, listen to his show. He'll shout you out if you log into the community room. It's pretty cool. I felt special the the one time I was able to tune in. (laughs) And uh, um, also, friend Nathan on Facebook. Um, You can follow him on Twitter. He doesn't really use his Twitter. He probably should, though. I probably should. Get you over, man. That's that's the thing, too. What's interesting is uh, just like a funny note while we're closing it out, like, the liberty movement is pretty much all on facebook there's not like a lot of there's not like a twitter presence it's like it's all like on facebook it's kind of interesting and then like uh the whole death squad community that i became a part of is all twitter it's just funny the way kind of i don't know where people migrate to we gotta start we gotta start working on some crossover we got to man we got to like that's what i'm trying to do like people have uh uh we'll talk about it afterward but anyways um so uh, tune in. Go to, go to his website. Uh, contribute some money to Nathan's show if you like his show. He always likes some donations. It's cost like he literally will do it every Sunday. It's still Sundays, right? Or is it... yep, Sundays at uh, eleven o'clock on the East Coast time. Okay, it's eleven, and uh, it's worth tuning into if you can. I got it. It's harder for me, but you can catch his archived episodes. But contribute man he's he's on there and he dropped knowledge it's helped it's helped me shape uh my worldview and i find value in it and i and i know you guys will too um so thanks again brother and uh and thanks for tuning in guys we'll talk to you soon